Paul says that we have all received gifts not to be used for self-promotion, but for the building up of the saints. And in this passage, Paul develops that idea. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. So if you are willing and able, would you stand with me and I'll read Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, down through verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. I'd like to draw your attention to verses 13, 15, and 16. Notice that it says in the text, until we all obtain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, verse 15, we are to grow up into him, verse 16, when each part is working properly. If you have a pen, I'd like to invite you to underline all in manhood in verse 13, we in verse 15, each part in verse 16. And then put your pens down and listen to this story. There's an English-born Canadian author and writer. His name is Malcolm Gladwell, who has a podcast that I know many of you listen to on occasion called Revisionist History. And in one of those podcasts, Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of Hank Rowan, who was an engineer who selflessly donated $100 million to Glassboro State University. And after he donated $100 million to Glassboro State University, other high net wealth individuals followed Rowan's lead in donating to universities as well. But most of them donated to superstar elite major universities. And they did not follow Rowan's lead in giving an incredible amount of money that just radically changed the history of that school. And Malcolm Gladwell explains why. Malcolm Gladwell says that Hank Rowan wanted to make a real difference. And he gave to what Malcolm Gladwell calls a weak link college. Most of other 
major givers will give to OSU or OU or Harvard, Yale, Princeton, these big universities, they're strong link colleges. And Gladwell explains the phenomenon like this. He says, soccer is a weak link sport. And if you want to improve a soccer team, I know there are some soccer coaches in this. Hello, Pete James. Hear this. If you want to improve a soccer team, the most effective way to improve a soccer team is by upgrading players 8, 9, 10, and 11. Your weakest link. Because no player in soccer dribbles the ball all the way down the field to score. You share the responsibility. However, basketball is a strong link sport. And so if you want to improve your basketball team, you want to upgrade the best player on the court. LeBron James can single-handedly dribble the ball from uh, baseline to goal and dominate the game. And Malcolm Gladwell explains that there are weak link organizations, like there are sports, and there are strong link ones. And as we think about the nature of weak link, strong link, let's think together about the church. What is the church? Is it a strong link sport or a weak link sport? Now, before, you're, before you answer, I want you to be careful because most of you who love other podcasts from fantastic preachers and you view the churches from afar, you recognize that popular churches, large churches, are often strong linked in their popularity. You follow a particular pastor because you love how he speaks. It's as though he can single-handedly take the ball down the court. It's about you and him and what he teaches you. And that is okay and fine as it is. But you don't measure a church by its strong link qualities. You measure the popularity of a church by its strong link qualities, but you measure the health of a church always by its weak link qualities. So that the real measure of a healthy church is not how good the staff is or how strong the elders are or if there's a a popular person that happens to go to that church. The measure of a local church's strength is in its weak link and our ability, in a sense, to all grow up together so that everybody, no matter how ostracized they may feel in the world, when they step in the doors of our church, feels welcome and at home. And as this text teaches us, they feel equipped to do the work of ministry. Because as we talked about last week, it is not my responsibility or Pastor Scott's or the elders to do all the ministry for you. Our job is to clear away the landing pad and help you learn how to fly. We want to keep the geese off the runway so that you can land your plane and you can take off and you can do what the Lord has called you to do. And so in this passage, Paul explores this whole notion of weak link. Notice he says, we, verse 13, all of us in verse 15, each one in verse 16, We equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So why did Christ, in verse 11, give gifts to his church? Answer, to prepare you for ministry, to help you attain maturity, and three, to help us grow in unity. That's what he says in verses 11 through 16 to help you prepare for ministry, to attain maturity, and for us to grow in unity. So we're going to look at these three ideas together. First, the immediate goal of this text is that Paul wants to prepare the Ephesians for ministry. Verse 11 
has the main verb in this section, give or gave in past tense. He, Christ, gave gifts. These are gifts. They're not formal offices in the church of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Why did he give them? Or for the building up of the body of Christ. And body, in Paul's language, is a metaphor for the church. We are all one body. We are all connected, as it says later in the passage, to Christ, who is the head. And if we're, if we're honest, most of us think about the church, and we think about the church's strength being in the pastor or being in the facilities or being in the programs of the church. We tend to think about when we walk in a door, what are people wearing? What is the culture of that church? I mean, even, even some of us here who are just checking out churches have these major categories. And on occasion, somebody will visit who, who wants to say, well, I want to take a little deeper dive. And they will, if they are weak link-minded when it comes to thinking about the church, which is what Paul espouses here, then they would often email or they would reach out to a leader of the church and say, hey, so I just, I want to check that what my intuition is saying is true. I see that you are trying to equip the leaders of the church to do the work of ministry. I'm trying to feel it out. And on occasion, we'll get an email from a dear brother or sister who is not just judging the church by the quality of worship or the preaching or the sermon that week, but they're saying, what, what is the body life in this church like? And if that's, if that's you, then welcome. Welcome to a messy group of people who are struggling together to learn what it means to use our gifts together. But how different that is, isn't it, as we judge churches and we look at them. We judge them based upon external appearances and not the quality of their life together, which is where the session really wants to take us this year especially. What does it mean to equip you to use your gifts for ministry through worship and through our fellowship as we all reconvene and regather together? And for those of you who are at home, we want to see your face soon when you feel safe. We miss you. What is the sign of a church that is using their gifts of ministry? Well, Paul says there are two signs. They're attaining maturity. We'll talk about what that is. And they're growing in unity. So if Paul is saying, God has given us gifts to use in this church to prepare you for ministry, what are the signs of that? The signs are that you are attaining maturity and that you are growing together in community. Verse 13, the verb to attain in Greek is the image of a traveler, weary, wandering traveler, as we sang when we first began worship. There is rest for thee. It's the image of a traveler looking for a destination. It means to reach, to arrive, to hit a goal, and... and and some of you feel this deeply. Like we, we all, we all are here on a journey. We feel that especially at this church because we're still longing to launch Trinity Kids again and longing to get into the building, which is so beautifully described in the, in the documents in the back of the room. And what does Paul say these saints are attaining? Well, he says that they are attaining to three things. Look at the prepositions here. There are is a preposition of to the unity of the faith. To, first, these are cascading to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, to the fullness of Christ. Paul is just cascading these prepositions upon prepositions to say, this is what you're attaining. Unity speaks to the direction. 
to the unity of the faith. The faith there is not a subjective, like, personal experience kind of faith. It's the content of a set faith, a system of doctrine that we believe. The next clause reinforces that idea. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the only time that Paul uses the phrase Son of God in Ephesians to refer to Jesus because Paul is pulling from ancient creeds about who Christ was and saying, we believe certain things about Christ. We are united in our belief about Jesus who is our head. What else are we attaining? Well, secondly, to mature manhood. And mature here means fully grown. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you are fully filled out. Teenagers, if you have ever looked at your parents' closet and thought, man, they've got some cool shoes, and you want to try to do the Cinderella thing and see if the slippers fit, and you want to put on dad's shirt and see if it works for you, and you're like, oh, you're so close. It's still a little big. It's still kind of baggy and hangs off of you. But, but you're filling out, and you can sense that one of these days, this, these pair of shoes are going to fit, and I get to use, wear all of mom's shoes, daughters may say, or the boys may say, I can finally wear dad's pa uh, pants or his shirt to have the sense of I'm growing, I'm filling out. That's the sense that maturity here connotes. And notice that it says manhood. It doesn't say that we are maturing in our statures, lots of individuals. Notice Paul says you are maturing in your manhood, singular, as though every individual Christian only matures with respect to the whole. Paul is saying that if you want to grow and you want to become mature in your faith, it is not how much scripture memory you have achieved, although we want you to know the scriptures. It is not how much of the Westminster Confession that you know, although we would love for you to know the doctrines and the creeds of the church. It is not how much you may happen to know and how good a teacher you are to attain maturity, to be a mature man, Paul says, means that you are intimately connected to a larger whole that is the covenant community of faith. And in that covenant community, you are using your gifts. Are you with me? Do you see that image that Paul is trying to help us recognize? You're not maturing to mature statures. You're maturing to a mature covenant community coming together. The strength of the local church is in its weakest link. We are a weak link sport together. Individualism is a very powerful and very toxic worldview to the church. And Paul goes right at it. Paul mentions a third preposition. Two, we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As gifts from Christ are used in the church, we will measure up to Christ's full stature. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But that means that if you want to be more like Jesus, you use your gifts in the local church. If you want to be more like Jesus, then you serve other people. You have to feed them as though you have no elbows. You serve each other as people who have a very dysfunctional body, who are being made more and more like the image of our Savior. 
Admiral John Richardson is a, he was the head of the Naval Command. He's a four-star admiral, and he, he gives this analogy. He says that most navies in the world operate diesel submarines, and very few operate uh, nuclear submarines. Diesel submarines have smaller crews, and the captain has a much larger role in running the vessel. They're the only person who legitimately knows how to fight the boat. And so if you want to take on a diesel submarine, you structure your approach to just leverage everything against one single point of failure. And eventually, that captain will not be able to keep up with the talented and tactical crew of a nuclear submarine who has spread out all the responsibilities to have fresh minds always at the ready to think about the attacks. And eventually, you will wear the diesel submarine down, and a nuclear submarine will defeat it every time because of the structure, John Richardson says, of how it is set up. And if we, as the church, in the same way, don't begin to operate like a nuclear submarine, we are going to be dead in the water, as it were. And we have to be able to use our gifts in different ways. And as I said last week, there are so many amazing gifts that you have, gifts of hospitality, gifts of caring for each other, gifts of teaching. Some of you are phenomenal teachers, like your adult education, yep adult education theory coming out your ears. And every time you teach something, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll never forget that. And we want to equip and train you to be able to then lead and be able to use those gifts in beautiful, beautiful ways. Christ gives us gifts. Why? To prepare for ministry, to attain to maturity, and thirdly, for us to grow in unity. Verse 14 shifts to individuals. And Christ gives us gifts to use so that we will not be deceived, verse 14, by the trickery of other people, (laughs) by the machinations of those with evil schemes, that we might, verse 15, grow up unto him. And so here, Paul gives us a negative purpose. He says, I... I do not want, verse 14, I do not want you to be children. Notice it's plural. He shifted from mature manhood, singular, all one body, to children, plural, each individual's. I do not want you to begin to think about yourself as individuals fighting the fight by yourself because if so, you will be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. A child here was a reference to someone who had grown up through about the year uh, of 12 years of age. They are someone who has not quite reached maturity. It's a metaphor, of course, for foolishness. It's a metaphor for gullibility. It's a metaphor for not having very strong perception. It's a metaphor for individualism. And he says that if you are like a child, you will be tossed to and fro. Tossed to and fro is the Greek idea of spinning you into dizziness. It's being confused. It's the idea that you are off at sea and you are completely disoriented. And we, most of us know what that's like. Don't be like children who are tossed to and fro. Notice it continues and it says by the craftiness, by, by human cunning. This is, this is the instrument or the method. By human deceitfulness, cunning. People who intentionally try to lead you astray. What are examples of that? Well, cults are, of course, an obvious example, people who are clearly teaching doctrine that is not in keeping with Orthodox Christianity. What are some others? Some of the others that we just breathe in the air, like um, others like um, just um, define your own identity. You decide who you are. 
That's a very cunning doctrine that is at odds with what the Scriptures tell us is true of us. God has set the boundaries of our habitations, and He has given us boundaries to help us thrive. Or what else? Love is all the world needs. That's another cunning human doctrine, isn't it? Just love, just love. Well, listen, love without truth is not healthy. <laughs> the question is, what is truth? And that's why verse 11 is given to us so that we have apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers to remind us where the shore is. It is not to straitjacket you. It's to free you up. It's not to give you a rope. It's to give you wings. And Paul says that the purpose of the church is to free you up by equipping you to use your gifts. Because if not, if you think of your individuality as the context in which you grow spiritually, you are going to be like a ship lost at sea, and you're going to be a sitting duck. Which is, which, let me just encourage some of you who, when you look at our church today and you see certain aspects of it that you don't, you don't really like or you want to be able to help in certain ways, please initiate those conversations. Please. We need you. There's, there's five of us on this session. There's 250 of us at Trinity and growing. And as we grow, we are going to need you to help initiate to say, I would love to help use these gifts. And we would love, we would welcome you to do that. For example, every deacon meeting, every elder meeting we have in this church is not exclusive to the session or the deacons of this church. It's open. We have a meal together every second Tuesday of the month. You are welcome to come. All of you are welcome to come. Children, you're welcome to come. Husband, you're welcome to come. Wife, you're welcome to come. Come. We'd love to see you. We'd love to let you listen in on the leadership of this church. We are an open book to be able to help equip you for your gifts in ministry. In fact, we need some of you who have good intuition and insight to help us. So think about that, men, as we move toward elder and officer training later this spring. We need more guys on the deck to help Continue to keep us going the right direction. A childish understanding is easily confused by all sorts of doctrines. They, they, it says in the text that you will be tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind. There's the force. There's a force that blows. You have to know what that force is. There's a force that blows, and it blows from every direction. So, for example, every four years, we have a force that blows called the political season. And if we aren't careful, the political season has a tendency to divide the church. Or every so often, there will be trends that develop. And if we're not careful, there will be trends that will potentially divide the church. Every wind, it comes from every direction. And we have to be able to be anchored enough so that we are centered around the knowledge of the Son of God, as Paul exhorts us to. And we need your help to do that. What else? Verse 15 gives us a positive purpose. Rather, in contrast, speaking the truth in love. Now, in the English Standard Version, it says speaking the truth in love. But really, it, in Greek, it's just one word. It's truthfulness. And speaking the truth in love is trying to get at one of the actions of truthfulness, but it might be better translated being truthful, both in your conduct and in your speech. It's in direct contrast to what it means to be deceitful. You want to be truthful in your conduct and in the way that you speak to each other. 
We want to be truthful. We want to have a sense of reality. We want to know the true state of affairs. How are we to do that? In love, the Bible says. Love is the instrument that tempers truth so that the truth can go in the heart. And if you ask people who are um, away from the church today, or maybe some of us here, you, you say, like, what is it that makes you happy? Most people are going to take the prevailing winds and say, well, I'm happy as I fulfill these financial goals or live in this house. Jonathan Haidt is a sociologist who tells a story of, of two people, Bob and Mary. Bob is 35 years old. He is attractive. He is athletic. He makes a gazillion dollars a year, and he lives in sunny Southern California. He's highly intellectual. He spends his free time reading and going to museums. Mary and her husband live in snowy Buffalo, New York, where they earn a combined income just above the poverty line. Mary is 65 years old. She is um, uh, of ill health. She is plain in appearance. She is highly sociable. She spends her free time in activities related to her church, and she is on dialysis for kidney problems. And Jonathan Haidt asks us, who would you want to be, Bob or Mary? Of course, everybody says Bob. But by every metric and by interviews, Mary is happier. And Jonathan Haidt, who is no Christian, goes on to explain she's happier because she is connected to something larger than herself. She has a sense of purpose. She understands her calling. She's content with the way the Lord has made her. And she struggles just with her health. But she is moving into this body of believers. And she has a good marriage with her husband. Did y'all see last week when um, endurance landed on Mars, perseverance landed on Mars? Did y'all see the video of that? Uh, wasn't that incredible? I mean, we were able almost live to see a spacecraft land on the surface of Mars. It was unbelievable. There are billions of dollars spent to make that engineering marvel happen. It was incredible. Do you know that it, uh, several years ago, they, they had said that by 2025, we are going to not just send spacecraft to Mars, but we're going to send people to Mars. Did you know this? We're going to put them on the moon first, and then we're going to send them to Mars. And several years ago, they said, we are going to, by 2025, we're going to send four people to Mars. And then two years later, we're going to send four more people to Mars. And then two years later, we're going to send four more people to Mars. Only there's one catch. There's no return trip. And 200,000 people signed up. I mean, do you hear the longing, the hunger to be part of something bigger than themselves? Plants need water and sun and good soil to thrive, and people need work and love and connection to something larger than themselves, Jonathan Haidt says. And Paul says, welcome to the Christian church. But you have to begin to see yourself not primarily as individuals trying to make your needs and using your gifts for your own self-promotion, but how do you, as though you have no elbows, like children at a meal, feed each other? Trinity aspires to be a weak link church because we believe that scripture teaches that we are weak link churches. That's what the Lord calls us to be. Why? Because our head is Christ. 
And we are all joined together by every connection, every sinew, every tendon. We all work together. The liver can't do more than what a liver can do. The lung can't do more than what a lung can do. But working together, we are able to function as a beautiful body with Christ as our strong link. The strong link who unites everything in the universe by the power of his word became weak so that we might understand in all of our gloating strengths as individuals that actually the way that you find your purpose is by recognizing that you belong to something bigger than yourself, namely the covenant community. And as, friends, you use those gifts to strengthen the church, you find that Jesus has given you, he is both the source of your gift and he is the object of your deepest affection. And you strengthen each other to make more of him together. And you become ministers. You become mature and you reach the kind of unity that you've always longed for. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians says, God making his appeal through us. And we employ you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You can do that today if you don't know him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What do you say, weak links? Let's do it together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to recognize that we are desperately interconnected to each other. And our joy and our maturity in the Christian life is directly proportional to the way we use our gifts in your covenant body. So, Father, would you help those of us who have gifts of generosity, of prophecy, of hospitality, of service, of music to be able to use our gifts for your glory's sake. And then allow us, Father, to take those gifts writ large to the church as your ambassadors to show the world that this countercultural community for the common good called your covenant community, the church, your body, is a foretaste is a foretaste of what we will be when you come to make all things new. And give us patience with each other and help us to keep short accounts and help us to know ourself and make our communication transparent and clear. We beg of you and pray. And as we give of our tithes and offerings now, Lord, we thank you for your radical generosity to us. Help us to give in such a way that you are honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.